summer of 1994, a virus that would come to be known as Captain Trips escaped from a government experimental facility. It would go on to wipe out 99.9% of the population. The only survivors would be a gaggle of B and C list celebrities. Together, they would form two separate communities and stage the final battle between good and evil. Welcome to the Usual People Podcast Minisode. My name is Anthony Herrera, one of your hosts. I'm Lala. And I'm one of the other hosts, Elisa. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> and today on Usual People Podcast, again, we're still on the lookout for another show to watch in lieu of watching La Rosa de Guadalupe because it just depressed us too much. So now we have settled on a mini-series about the destruction of mankind. Yep, that's yep. what we did. Yep, yep, yep. yep. And uh, it's a pretty fitting subject, I believe. Um, it's perfect right now. We are in the middle of Corona Country. It's out there. The government is just bald-facedly lying about what is actually going on. Not giving us the facts, uh, just hiding things from us, um, and everyone's pretending everything's fine. Are Yeah, Trump is literally just lying about the severity of the coronavirus. I mean, it's not a world killer, but he's also just lying about it. Like, about how deadly it is, and the, uh worldwide death populations like he's saying it's way below three percent when everyone else in the world saying no it's killing three percent of the population so that's going on so we thought this was the perfect time to watch the 1994 miniseries epic uh from the stephen king book the stand now thus stand the stand thus stand thus stood zarathustra what exactly okay now, uh, Lala, you'd seen this before, right? But you, yeah. have, you haven't seen it since it was originally broadcast in 1994. Yeah, I don't think I have because I recognized some scenes, but I really didn't remember it at all. You watched it when it was fresh? Yeah. I did too. I watched this when it first came out. And I have to say, um, I found it a lot more scary back then, but I was also 11. Yeah. Well, also, things were just scary. Yeah. And also, we haven't gotten to Stephen King's cameo yet. No. <laughs> is, that, is that when the true horror hits for you? Yes. When uh, Stephen <laughs> King, the original Stan Lee, uh, shows up in his movies to do his cameo? What? Why is Joe Hill doing the same thing? Joe, Joe Hill, Hill, his son, is yeah. appearing in all of his movies or what? Uh, he had a cameo in uh, Lock and Key. Okay. Fair enough. Who's Joe Hill? His Stephen son. King's son. Oh, relation and, to Jonah Hill? No, he's, he's Stephen King's son. Why? Would yeah, he, well, why is his last name Hill? Because he doesn't want to be have the name King, so he's associated with it. Everyone will know yeah. he's Stephen King's son. I, I don't really know how he was ever going to get away with that, because he looks exactly like Stephen King. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the internet. Yeah, a sexier version of Stephen King. I'm not saying Joe Hill's sexy. I'm saying he's a sexier version of Stephen King. <laughs> is he good? I haven't read anything he's ever written. Oh, he writes. 
Yeah. Oh. Anyway, this is the first time you've ever seen uh, this. I wonder what kind of relationship him and his dad have. Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah. Do you think it's good? Like, what if he's just writing for, like, daddy's, like, approval? approval? Well, he was a huge alcoholic in the 80s, so at his best son? it's complicated. It's no. <laughs> his, oh. yeah, his son wasn't a six-year-old drinking uh, vodka all day. He might have been. We don't know. Yeah. I don't, we don't know how what old is he? This. Is he, like, our age? He's about our age, yeah. Hmm. Maybe even younger, but he's around our age. Maybe he, like, wants to be better than his dad. And he's, like, showing him. I'll show you. Old man. Yeah, you ain't shit. Who's a better writer here? I mean, he'll never get under the shadow, out from under the shadow of Stephen King. Like, no. what if Stephen King told him, like, you'll never like be when, as good as I am. And so he made it his life's mission, this hill fella. Yeah. To, like, you know, well, I try mean, to we're be just, better than his we're dad. We're just talking about Jacob Dylan and Bob Dylan at that point. Nothing. Not that Jacob Dylan ever was good, but he was never going to get under the uh, from under the shadow of Bob Dylan well, or yeah. any of the Lennon children or David Bowie's son. Yeah. So David Bowie's son just flat out just said, "I'm not going to make music. I'm going to direct movies. Yeah. That are okay. <laughs> they're not bad, but they're not great. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm going to do. <laughs> and I'm going to make money, and everyone's going to love me. Like, what if Stephen King and his son were, like, you know, always bumping heads, right? And mm-hmm. then, you know, the kid makes it his mission to be better than his dad. And his dad's like, whatever, you'll never be this good. But then, like, in the background, he's, like, calling people, like, hey, give my kid a chance. It could be like that. Or it could be that Joe Hill's, like, trying to take on, like, weird, like, outdo his dad in weird ways. Like, he's trying to do, like, way more cocaine in one day than Stephen King ever did. It's just like, yeah, I heard my dad, he did like uh, two baggies of cocaine, so I'm going to do three baggies in one day. Man, to have that life, man, that's dangerous. <laughs> just to, like, he's like, he's going to do more cocaine, he's going to become an even bigger alcoholic than Stephen King ever was. He's going to direct an even crazier movie about killer trucks and cars. I would love for that to happen. He's going to find a better Swedish show to remake. (laughs) The reference to the kingdom. (laughs) There, for anybody who remembers that short-lived ABC miniseries or the Lars von Trier miniseries. Stephen King wrote that? No, that's Tenth Kingdom. Oh. Kingdom is uh, Kingdom Hospital. Well, Tenth Kingdom is amazing. That would be... Listen, whatever's going on between Joe Hill and his father, that's between them. That's not for us to speculate. Do you think they watched the Tenth Kingdom together? No, they did not watch the story about... I'm sure Joe Hill saw the Tenth Kingdom. Not with Stephen King, No, though. no, no. Anyway, <laughs> we can't keep talking about Joe, their relationship. This is weird. This is supposed to be about the stand. This was the first time you ever saw the stand. Yes. Or the first part. We've only watched the first part. Part yes. one, The Plague. And what did you, what were your initial thoughts about it? Well, all those C-listers you named are actually A-listers, like in real life. Name one. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, 80s Rob Lowe, A-lister. Yeah, 80s Rob Lowe. 80s Rob Lowe, 90s Rob Lowe, Lo- 90s so Rob Lowe is lower on the list than he is now. I hate yeah, like Rob Lowe's character. Yeah, like he's more of a B-lister now, but... Yeah, he was like, Rob Lowe was definitely well, on the C-list in the 90s. Well, he had that TV show that brought him back. Yeah, after this, the West Wing in like the late 90s, this was mid-90s when yeah. he was lucky to get that job in Tommy Boy. Like, 
he was going nowhere in the 90s. Yeah, especially with this character. Nick Andros. Well, let me just give an introduction to uh, the world of the Gary stand. Gary Sinise. That's who I was going to name. Gary Sinise at the time. See, Gary Sinise is the, like, the bit best example of like a test case right there. Like, Forrest Gump had just come out that year. So he, he had a much bigger profile than he probably would have initially than they thought because Forrest Gump was such a huge hit. So by the dint of Forrest Gump coming out that year, Gary Sinise, and I'd say even now, Gary Sinise is still the biggest star in the whole thing. Like, um, even though Gary Sinise, like, his career is cooled, I mean, we just have to respect Gary Sinise for the work he's done in the Lieutenant Dan Band. Going around... Entertaining our troops, I'm assuming with covers of songs like uh, Three Doors Down's Kryptonite and... Uh, Fortunate Son. Fortunate Son. Yeah, Fortunate Son definitely has to be in the uh, Lieutenant Dan Back. Yaggity Yak, Back. <laughs> that would be weird. Yaggity Yak, that's even stranger. Um, no, things like... They probably do like... He'd probably like cover 21 Guns. By Green Day now. What if wouldn't it be surprising if they did that Piero Ulamani song Manamana? Manamana. No. They do it, but Gary Sinise plays it entirely on his bass. It's terrible. That would be the worst thing, but I love it. It's just like it's like Gary Sinise's showstopper. And you have all the troops in unison. Yeah, but I'm just there going. And they're having a good time. That's a good choice for him to do. Like that's a good thing. That would be an amazing show. Just Gary Sinise. Just it's like Lieutenant Dan Band is just Gary Sinise. <laughs> doing songs on his bass. Oh, God. I can't stop to get that image out of my head now. <laughs> Him what is he, he wearing? Of course he's wearing tight blue jeans. Has and he a let white his shirt. hair go salty or salt I'm sure and pepper? he has. Like, it's, I think it's more... Uh, if he has, he's let it happen in a rugged way. He's got a five o'clock shadow, obviously. Yeah. Um, because, you know, every time he does his, like, conservative stuff, mm-hmm. like his, like, ads or whatever, yeah. he's always clean cut. Yeah, I think uh, when he's when he's touring, he's got, uh, I think he's, he's got Russell a stubble. Russell Crowe. Yeah, he's got to get it, he's got a stubble going. Anyway, uh, The Stand is a story about a super virus that escapes from a government facility and basically wipes out the world. It's a virus I don't even get. Like, I was mad at the beginning. What didn't you get about it? You were very confused. Well, because the the alarms went off. Shut the gate, shut the gate. And that guy got out, but it's like, he was outside. No, the the virus... He was on the base. He was on the base. He was trying to get his wife It had escaped into the air of the base. But he was like in the... He was the gate patrol. Yeah. Yeah. And he He ran... He abandoned his post. And he ran back into the base in where the Mm -hmm. housing was Mm -hmm. um, and all that. Like they don't make it... Because it's a miniseries they don't have a lot of time so they couldn't like you know, show show the like the like this. lay out like the base because the base plays such a small role in the whole thing. So they weren't going to do like a step by step to show you how the virus got out. You just like okay, he's got the virus, and it's and at least one of the best parts of the the whole episode, in my opinion, is the slow zoom through the base as you see all the dead bodies while they play a cover of "Don't Fear the Reaper." That wasn't the actual version of "Don't Fear the Reaper." Uh, uh, do 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 do. I sing that out of order. 
And so apparently, I think this base is somewhere in California. He drives all the way to the small town of Arnett, Texas, where he crashes into a gas station where Stu Redman, played by Gary Sinise, is hanging out with some buddies, shooting the shit. He's basically spread this virus all across the nation, and this first part is all about the collapse of society as the virus kills everybody, and we're introduced to all the main heroes of the show. Now, actually, I was because this is like the third time I think I've watched this, I was surprised to find that they don't actually introduce any of the villains yet. Yeah, I was There's like, no villains? Where, I, I actually, I have always had this like uh, low-key crush on Laura Sanji Como since mm. Pretty Woman. Yeah. <laughs> and she wasn't in this part. She's introduced she in the second part. She plays the part of Nadine Cross. Uh, we'll, pro- we'll get into her on the episode where she appears if we keep doing this. We might not. God damn, we have no... I love her eyebrows, man. Oh, Lance, Laura Sanji Como's great. Yeah. Just Shoot Me? Yeah. It's a terrible show. She's yeah. great in it. Yeah. Enrico Calantoni? Great. <laughs> David Spade? Just terrible. Like he always is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, um, so yeah, that was one of the weird things because having watched this, like they introduced, okay, they sort of introduced three of the villains. Uh, one is not a major villain at all. One is a uh, rat man. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, he gets one line in this whole episode. It's where the character of Larry Underwood, who was a musician from New York, who was one of the designated survivors of this plague and one of our Digio heroes. Man. Digio Man. He is a singer who's about to give have a number one album on the charts as that society is falling apart. And the song is called Baby Can You Dig Your Man? He's a Righteous Man. Even in 1994, that would not have been a hit song. Like, it's uh, like I know just the previous year, Tom Cochran had a hit with Life is a Highway, I Wanna Ride It All Night Long. But that's a fun song. Baby Can You Dig Your Man is a dirge of a song that's like the worst kind of. Um, like, I could see it rising in the RB charts, okay. not, not the pop chart. Yeah. And then it would quickly fall once everybody realized, oh, it's just some white dude. Uh, question. Yeah. Did we hear the song? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we heard we a did. snatch of it at the beginning when he's introduced. He's listening to it in his car. Oh, um, so I missed it. So he has, because that's his big hit, his license plate says, Dig Yo Man, which you always read as Digio Man. No, I want to read it that way. It's great. And you came up with a better song called Digio Man. Yeah, but don't ask me to sing it. I made it up. <laughs> it's forgotten. <laughs> you can't remember it's how. It's gone no. forever. Digio Man. He's got a plan. Digio Man. Man, oh man. I said that? No. Oh, I was like, that doesn't tr- sound like anything I would say. <laughs> yeah, that does not, it doesn't have the creative genius, the spark that you always bring to a song. I mean, it was fine. Thank you. <laughs> Coming from you, that means a lot, actually. Oh, okay. because you're the you're the queen of the nonsense single that you can never remember. That's the name of my CD. Queen of the nonsense single. Oh, speaking yeah. of the oh, album right. title, <laughs> the name of Larry Underwood's album is uh, "Pocket Savior," <laughs> and the cover of it is a picture of him with a smaller version of him in his breast pocket. <laughs> Like it's a goddamn Tim and Eric sketch. Like it's it's one of the most pre-Tim and Eric, Tim and Eric things I've ever seen in my life. It's like, I can't believe that. Like I know who the rat man is. I was trying to figure it out. He was the bad guy from Ghost. Oh no, no he's not. 
He's the guy in the arcade. Yes. Oh, in the actual thing. You're talking thinking about the actor. Yeah. Yes. The rat man is a man that Larry Underwood bumps into at an arcade and he turns around and goes, The rat man's gonna forgive you. This this time. time. And then we won't see Ratman again until like part three. But he gets this one line in the first part, just so you real, just so when he pops up in part three, you're all like, "Who the fuck is Ratman?" <laughs> oh yeah, he's that guy that let Larry let Larry walk out of the place without beating him up for like five seconds. Um, so we get that villain. Um, we get Miguel Ferrer, who has one of. This whole, because it's such a huge story they're trying to tell, a lot of things get rushed. But the literally the most rushed part is the introduction of Miguel Ferrer's character. I think his name is Lloyd. They have to establish he's a bad guy really quick. So they have him smoking a joint and drinking beer in a in an open top convertible with a submachine gun in the back seat. He's wearing a swastika on his shirt. They, that's Albert. Yes, that's Albert from Twin Peaks. They break into a, uh, they go into a, uh, a convenience store, mow down everybody inside with a machine gun for absolutely no reason, and then he gets captured by the cops. And then the next, okay, we introduce Lloyd so that when he shows up again, it won't be like out of nowhere. He smoked cigarettes, cool. <laughs> he did smoke cigarettes, cool. He gave one of the, even though he was in it for only like three minutes, he gave one of the better performances of the episode. Yeah, yeah. I always believe him. He was really good. The performances in the stand are not great. Uh, Rob Lowe. He gave possibly. I can hear. <laughs> I, can, I can hear. I can talk. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Lowe plays the deaf and mute uh, Nick Andros, who is some sort of very clean um, drifter. He has no visible means of support. When we first see him, he's just walking the back roads of America, looking very clean shaven, very washed. It's like there. It's like harking back to a time where you could just be a nice clean drifter. Did he lose all his clothes? I don't know. Like, it doesn't seem like the doctor recovered his bag. He's he- jumped on the outskirts of a small Arkansas town, and he gets a job working. I don't... This... Even for the 90s, you just couldn't just get a job at a jail <laughs> as, like, the, the assistant. Deputy. The sheriff's deputy. That's not how it worked. But apparently it was easy enough for a drifter uh, who cannot hear or speak... To get a job as a sheriff's deputy because he, he gets taken into this the thing to uh, give a statement as much as he can, even though he can't talk. And he's our first time we see uh, the realm of Mother Abigail, who in one of the more um, unfortunate tropes of Stephen King is a, a black savior. A black savior who we find who in later things will find magical magical black savior. Yeah, she's 106 years old, um, and she's gonna save. All the white people. <laughs> like, that's what she's here for. She's here to save all the white people oh, and lead them to God. Um, so, he, he's not great. Um, Rob Lowe gives one of the least good performances. Another person who doesn't do terribly well in this is Molly Ringwald. Uh, she's playing the pretty girl that the that Corin Nemec, who younger people have no idea who could that could possibly be. He was Parker Lewis in the show Parker Lewis Can't Lose. I used to love that show. It was fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, Synchronized watches. They would synchronize their watches before <laughs> no. they did their little... He was definitely a less evil version of Zach Morris. 
Like he was still in the he was still the like the sociopath vein of Ferris, Ferris Bueller, Bueller, but he wasn't like the the just completely evil endpoint that Zach Morris would end up being. He was sort of like a middle ground stage yeah. in there. Zach Morris is the worst. Yeah, oh, there's tons of literature already devoted to this subject. Yeah, and we can't. We have to talk about The Stand. Okay, The yeah. Stand. Is that a book? It is a book. It is a 1,500-page <laughs> book by Stephen King. Uh, when he wrote it, he uh, or later on, he would make the statement that he was going to write his own version of The Lord of the Rings and that his hobbit was going to be a gas station attendant from Texas. Viggo Mortensen. No. <laughs> I remember the name. Gary Sinise. <laughs> God damn it. Okay. No, the one that Ed yeah. Harris plays. Right. Ed Harris is also in this as the, he sort of, Ed Harris is here as a general who represents all of the government. Um, and he basically just lets you know, because it is a miniseries, they don't have the budget to show you the entire collapse of society in any grand way. So much like a BBC drama or any cheap television, everything happens in little rooms, but they talk about a wider world out there where all this stuff is happening. And he represents the government uh, shutting down, um, the ultimate collapse of which happens when he blows his own brains out uh, in response to the horror the government has unleashed guilty. on the world. He writes guilty on his chest. Um, so I was convinced. wrong. He was definitely the biggest actor at the point. He was the biggest. Him and Kathy Bates were the yeah, two biggest actors the at this point. The two that died. They, they have very small ra- roles in this. Quickly. I don't think Kathy Bates died. She did. She they was, shot up her equipment. No, they shot they her. They shot her on air. Kathy Bates was a uh, plays a talk radio DJ who tries to tell the truth, and the American government comes in and blasts her away as Molly Ringwald listens in horror. I thought they just shot her radio stuff. No, they shot her. They killed her. Oh, wow. That's what that whole scene was about. So she went out a hero. Yeah. I guess. Isn't that every radio DJ's dream? To be murdered? No, it's absolutely no, not. That's not to be murdered. Leader's <laughs> dream. Yeah. No, like um, to go out like damning Defending the man. Yeah, freedom, freedom of, of speech. speech. I guess. I mean, I'd rather not. I mean, I'm pretty sure it was Christian Slater's in that one movie. <laughs> Pump up the volume. Yeah. The cube. No, uh, pump, pump up, up the, the volume. volume. Never saw it. Should I? It's got a lot of pixie songs. Mm-hmm. Pump up the volume, pump up and the volume. And that Leonard Cohen song, Everybody Knows. Everybody knows. That is completely the wrong song. Sometimes. <laughs> that's, that's R.E.M. Everybody knows. Oh, there was an R.E.M. reference in the there stand. There was an R.E.M. reference. So you've already, you brought it back. Thank to you very stand. much. I, I think thought the stand was about like a witness and Demi Moore was on it. No, you're thinking of She's the juror. Lawyer. Oh. Well, I thought the stand was about a little boy. That's that's the client. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with uh with the late Brad Renfro. Saran. Oh, he died? Brad Renfro died a long time ago. What? Yeah, he uh The last thing I saw him in I think was Ghost World. Probably. I think he did other he was in Bully in 2007. Mm. Or, or 2003, I'm sorry. Did he, he died. kill himself? No, oh, drug. I think it was drugs. drugs. So he killed himself. <laughs> <laughs> That would be the darkest thing we've ever said <laughs> on this podcast somehow. It ain't wow. wrong. It ain't wrong, but yeah, so he killed himself. Don't do, don't do drugs. Don't do, don't, don't, I like how don't tentative that was. Don't do, don't, don't, don't do, do drugs. drugs. You know, unless they're yourself. fun, like marijuana. I think it's safe. No. 
So basically, this whole thing ends with everybody dead except all of our main characters, and they've got to go find a way to rebuild society after this is done. I think it's safe to say, even at the time, because this was a huge hit at the time. This was a big hit miniseries. Yeah. It was... There were three huge Stephen King miniseries. There was Salem's Lot in the late 70s. That was big. That was a huge yeah, success. Yeah. There was It in 1990. That, that was, was the other book. That was a huge success. The movie, TV series. And The Stand book. was a definitely a huge hit. Okay. Every <laughs> other Stephen King miniseries has never reached the heights of all, either of the, any of those. I think The Langoliers pretty much killed everything that came after it. <laughs> Possibly. That is such a weird story and thing to... They're, they're meatballs with razor-sharp teeth that eat the past. I blame it on Bronson Pinchot also. <laughs> the Langoliers? Yeah. I feel like we've talked about the Langoliers, and I don't remember it. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's weird because, like, the Langoliers, the Stan and all that, they're such, like, indelible parts of our childhood somehow. Or, yeah. like, being young in the 90s is just, like, to know what a Langolier is. They really tried to bring. They really tried to make Stephen King a thing again with um, the dome. Oh, under the dome. Under I mean, it was dome. a huge thing. I didn't watch any of it just because I didn't care to. Yeah. But um, yeah, like the. I just mean the advertising that they mm-hmm. put 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 toward it. Yeah. And like they were just trying to push it. Yeah. That one summer. And it worked. It ran for three seasons. It ran like two seasons longer than the actual book was. Like, oh really? Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, it ran more. It ran for three seasons. The book. I thought the, it stayed a mini series. No, it was thirteen episodes every season. They got to the end of the book by the first season, and they just had to make shit up for the rest of the series, which I never watched. So I don't Why know what they did. Why would we do that? Why would they do that? Because of the money, and it had Hank from. Um, Breaking Bad. Yeah. <laughs> that Those are the two reasons that happened, I guess. Um, but it's safe to say that in this, the, the person who gives the best performance is clearly Gary Sinise. I would say that. That's true, right? Like, his scenes have a, a reality and uh, a centeredness to them that the scenes with almost all of the other characters completely lack. Yeah, well, he's Stu Everyman. Yeah, he's like, he's playing the everyman. Um, I thought he was playing the bass. <laughs> no um and i would say, say that's the stop it he did he doesn't do that you said he did he might <laughs> i'm gonna don't believe stop I it am okay, gonna i'm be sorry going on youtube I'm sorry. i am gonna be going on youtube later to put in putting gary sinise phenomena to see what comes up i'm gonna write him a letter <laughs> yeah yeah and it was all base cover do an all base cover of phenomena um so i think I liked it. I enjoy it. It's not, even for the time, it wasn't that well done, but I think a story this big was never going to be well done on a TV budget, Mm -hmm. and they take some shortcuts with it. I think it's an enjoyable way to spend 90 minutes to watch these in sections. Like I didn't hate it. Yeah, I wouldn't sit and watch this thing all six hours of it in one go. I don't know... Oh, the new miniseries, the mm-hmm. remake, is going to be 10 episodes. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, that, that actually, because they'll probably only be 45 minutes each, yeah. that'll still come out to about six hours. Maybe they'll be exactly an hour because they're um, they're coming out on that CBS, CBS All Access? Yeah, okay. All Access. I mean, it's probably going to be, it's going to look better just because they can do more expensive things on a cheaper budget now. Um, but it's, it's going to be fun to see how they handle 
the problematic aspects of Stephen King, which is one, Nick Andros being deaf and dumb. Magical black person. Magical black person. And then... Oh, there was already a controversy about uh, Nick Andros, the character, just because... They uh, didn't cast a deaf actor? They didn't cast a deaf actor. Obviously, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, then we get into the character who has not been introduced yet, but will be, is probably the one we, that people who saw it remember the most, which is Tom Cullen, whose catchphrase is M-O-O-N, that spells car. Um, Moon. <laughs> it doesn't spell car. You haven't, been introduced <laughs> to, yeah. you haven't been introduced to Tom Cullen yet. It'll make sense. Uh, uh, I saw the actor who's playing Tom Cullen mm-hmm. and... God, he looks like a fucking uh, Robbie Coltrane in the Harry Potter movies. A big, big man. Yeah. What does Cullen mean? It's just a last name. Cullen? Yeah, Tom Cullen. Uh, that's his not last like a name. vampire? That's, well, yeah, that's the name of the vampires from Twilight. Oh, I've oh. never seen that. Yeah, they're called the Cullens. So, I haven't seen a single one of those movies. Sometimes I wonder, should I watch them? Should I sit down and watch them? No, because then I, I won't, I'll be all by myself. Oh, okay. They're not world. scary at all. I'm they're, not worried about it being scary. I just don't want to sit through something dumb. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? Pretty. You well, sat through plenty of dumb stuff. I know, but by my choice. You sat through hours of La Rosa de Guadalupe. That's not dumb. I cry sometimes. <laughs> We've seen all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That's great. Which they're also remaking. Yeah. Why would they do that? It's a good show by itself. Anyway, yeah. since uh, coronavirus is coming to kill us all, I thought I would talk about... Uh, um, a happier plague, the Dancing Plague of 1518. Are you familiar with this? No. Okay. The Dancing Plague of 1518 was a case of dancing mania that occurred in Strasbourg, Alsace, now modern-day France, and the Holy Roman Empire in July 1518. Around 400 people took to dancing for days without rest, and over the period of about one month, some of those affected, collapsed, or even died of heart attack, stroke, or exhaustion. So basically, in this town of, of, uh, of in Alsace, 400 people could not stop dancing. They just kept going and going and going until a great many of them dropped dead. Do you think this is one of those cases where we found some documents about this? And... Then somebody over exaggerated the whole thing, like this, that whole rat trial thing. This um, this particular instance, there is enough documentation about this event to show that it was not exaggerated. There's like multiple accounts going from different diarists, uh, you know, uh, local officials, and all that to say that this thing was not. This thing was as big as they said it was. Like, these are hundreds of people who could not stop dancing. Do you think they had to have music? No, they didn't. Because music was a lot harder to produce back in the 1400s or the 1500s. Yeah, yeah, you have a live band. Yeah, and there wasn't. Like, if that was the the only problem, they would just tell to go to the band. Hey, could you stop? It was like in the sack lunch bunch. Anything can be music. Music, yeah. And they were just like, (laughs) they were just making their own music. And so... This, I just wanted to ask you this question. Ask me too. Okay, I will ask you too. Um, one, do Bono's you... Bono's not here, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm, not, I'm not laughing at your joke. I'm laughing at how much you loved your joke. <laughs> we 
To have no one listen to our podcast. We deserve it. We absolutely deserve it. Look. The amount of pleasure you got from that was ridiculous. Uh, Was it? I'm sorry. I'm sure somebody laughed on the other end of this microphone. Okay, because I was about to say you were laughing and then Lala was just... I was laughing at you, not with you. Yeah. I love you. <laughs> so here's the question. If we were to catch this dancing disease, what dance do you hope you would get to help you get through this or do the, during this disease? So when you were talking about it, I immediately thought of that one that the flappers do, the jitter... No. What Jitter, is, Jitterbug or Charleston? Charleston. You would like to do the Charleston until you die. Yeah. <laughs> you think that would be a good one? I think it'd be funny to watch. Yeah, just to watch you do the yeah. Charleston to death? Yeah. Obviously. And then, so then, like, what we would do to help you is that we would dress you like a flapper. No. Why not? Uh, I think because the doc. I think when the doctors show up, they'll say, it'll help if you dress her like a flapper. All right. <laughs> and so while you're doing the Charleston, Lala will cut your hair into like a bob. I like it. And then we'll get you like those really long necklaces they used to wear. Wear it. And get you a flapper dress. I think it would be cool. Yeah. Lala, what type of dance do you, would you hope to get stuck into until you died? Not the line dancing. That would be no. boring. Oh, my God. That would be the worst. Ugh. <laughs> and also because it would be like... The slowest death because yeah. there's little physical exertion going on with the line dance. Yeah. Oh, oh, do, si, do. Come on, baby, let go. You know, I'm going to say this. I would do swing dancing without a partner, <laughs> <laughs> which is not possible. Yeah. But, but it would be amazing if you did it. Like somehow <laughs> you were spinning in midair around a body that isn't there. That would be amazing to watch. That would be fun. Actually. Like you're just like, it's almost like you're dancing with a ghost. Oh man. And you would break so much shit. <laughs> like you would just break everything. It would be almost indistinguishable from slam dancing at that point. If you're, if you are swing dancing by yourself. Yeah. Man. We would probably at that point. Um, we would build you a sort of like a harness sort of thing so that you were sort of manacled to this thing so that one, you couldn't get far. Well, what are the, what are, what is the actual deal with this? Do we think that they didn't know the moves and they were just doing moves or were they just gyrating or what? I think it's more like they were gyrating and all that sort of thing. Like they they couldn't dance or they could have been. Um, but. Because in reality. In my head, I would probably be swing dancing, but I'd probably just be pogoing the whole time. <laughs> right, like it's just bouncing. <laughs> yeah. Completely destructive. But no, we would tie you to sort of like a harness type thing to limit your area of destruction. Uh, and then also so you could do maneuvers with the harness thing. You know what would be better for me, though? One what? of those inflatable balls. To put you in the inflatable balls? Da- yeah. <laughs> Dave, what dance do you hope you would get stuck in until I'm you die? I'm still done? seeing that version of her... In my head, the ball. <laughs> the ball? Me too. Yeah. <laughs> but like also like imagining like in what's going on in our head too. Yeah. It would be sad. She would be like Ali Sheedy when she dances in the library at the <laughs> breakfast club. In the breakfast club, yeah. 
Oh, but in a ball. So, okay, so then at that point, would you prefer if the nurses dressed you as a swing dancer or like Ali Sheedy? Why Ali Sheedy? Because you brought up Ali Sheedy. Oh. Oh. Well, Ali Sheedy's just like not even goth, Mm. faux goth. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I'd like a really nice swing dress. Yeah. Okay. We'll get you a striped swing dress. We'll get you a swing dress. And those uh, shoes. Okay. Those loafers. Dave, dance. Probably the slow drunk dance that doesn't look very coordinated. And the only reason I'm thinking that is that way I don't overexert myself too much and last longer and possibly stick around long enough for a <laughs> cure. Cure. Yeah, versus, I think because at that point, you would have to become the nurse. So that would be good if you just had the stumbly drunk dance. Right. Because you would be more like capable of helping out with uh, delivering medicine and like feeding us food. Although your hand would be really shaky because you're drunk. Right. Maybe like on junto music or something? Like everybody's drunk Theo at like, the quinceanera No, more like dance. last call, slow song. Like you all got to get out of here. Just kind of swaying around. Like Audrey Horn types just say Audrey Horn then. Yeah, I didn't think about it. So yeah, go with the Audrey Horn dance. I think Audrey that would be a lot better. And then we'll dress you like Audrey Horn. That'd be perfect. Honestly, the answer I was expecting from you was the midget or the little person in the red room. Oh, that would be the arm. The arm. Yeah, it's too much energy exerted. Yeah, he's doing a lot of things with his arms. Like y'all's dance, y'all's heart would give out. Like, yeah, I. Yeah, well, that's because we're in so much pain. No, I'll probably get concussed and die of brain damage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> Not you'll get in concussed. A you'll get concussed and get brain damage, but your body will still be moving until you die. Yeah, that would be terrible. This disease sounds awful. I would do the Tootsie Roll. Tootsie, Tootsie Roll. roll. <laughs> Tootsie Roll. Mainly because it's the only one I know how to do. You know how to do that. The instructions are in the song. <laughs> so it's the same thing with the electric slide. Yeah. And oh, a square dance. Yeah. No, the instructions aren't in a square dance. So you well, want to line dance. square dance. Like they say, but in Tootsie uh, Roll, it's like to the back, to, to the, the back, back, to, to the, the front, right. to the front, to the right, to the right. You might as well have said the hokey pokey. That's what you want. You want uh, the hokey pokey. I want, to be, I want it to be easy. But I also wanted to have some style. Uh. I want to die stylish for once in my life. Be and I would, stylish <laughs> for before you die. <laughs> yeah. I want to <laughs> die. I don't want to die doing the hokey pokey. I want to die doing the Tootsie Roll. I want to wear your bows. <laughs> I want to wear... Uh, one of those bucket hats. One of those bucket hats. And you're going to have the sunglasses. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're going to have like this like... Lime green, like sort of windbreaker. Oh. Damn it! <laughs> You're gonna have this lime green windbreaker with like the uh, checkers yes. striped down the side. Oh god, I would look so Is good. Is he gonna be dressed like Seth Green and can't hardly wait? Almost. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Like yeah. The 90s you version know, of that. You know, well, that was the 90s version of that. Was it 99? That was 98. 98? Yeah. Oh, well, I meant like early 90s. Yeah. So, I don't know why I thought it was a 2000s movie. So that's our coverage of The Stand. Um, We'll probably be back uh, in a little bit to give you part two, our thoughts on part two of The Stand, and uh, more talks about diseases we won't get, hopefully. Uh, So until next time, uh, goodbye. Don't die of coronavirus. Oh, yeah, don't die of coronavirus. Actually, just 
Don't. Get coronavirus. Or do whatever you want. Wash your hands. It's Wash a free country. Hands. Yeah, don't hoard toilet paper. What's what's with that? Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>